seated. I think one of the things that the gospel should do in our hearts and in our minds is stir up a sense of anticipation. Because uh, these stories that we read about in the gospel are not only about what Jesus did, of course they're about what Jesus did, and um, we have a historical faith, our faith is anchored in real events that really happened in time and space. But they're also about what Jesus is doing because he's the same Lord yesterday and today and forever, and he's risen. So he's doing these sorts of things even today, and they're also about what he's going to do in a full and complete way when he comes again. So when we read these stories of Jesus, it should fill us with a sense of anticipation and that anticipation should energize us, animate our faith and our life even today. In other words, we look forward to what Jesus is going to do, and that gives us confidence and energy to carry on the mission of Christ for the present. You know how this works when you're anticipating in the future something great, something you're looking forward to. Josie and I and our kids, we're, we're, we're blessed to be able to take a spring break vacation. In the next four or five weeks, we're going to go on spring break together. I think Josie's got the exact day on her calendar. She knows exactly when we're leaving because she's gone back to work full time. So our, our schedule is really full with work and uh, family and just a full, busy life. And so as we think about that vacation, it sort of gives us energy to carry on today. You know, we've gone online and we've looked at the hotel pictures of our room. And uh, the kids have looked at pictures of the swimming pool. And we've explored online the restaurants that are around the hotel. It's whetted our appetite for what's in store to come. And in the same way, these Gospels are to stir up hope, confidence, and anticipation in our hearts for what's to come. Because in this Gospel reading today, we see Jesus defeating two enemies that we have to constantly battle until he comes again. The enemies are sickness and the threat of death and the spiritual evil, Satan and spiritual forces of evil, the demons. And what we see here in Jesus' victory over these forces at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark is a sign, a preview, a sneak peek, if you will, of the full-length feature that's to come when he comes again in power, in glory, to restore this world, to recreate it. We read from Isaiah that the Lord is the ruler. He's the creator. This is his world. And he's not giving up on it, and he's going to renew and restore creation. And these forces that we battle now, spiritual and physical, are going to be vanquished once and for all. That's good news, and that gives us confidence and hope. It's a confidence and hope that the world does not have but we're to be a sign of that hope as we live our life as Christians. Let's look at how Jesus handles these two enemies in our gospel reading. It says in verse 29, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. That's Simon Peter. So this is Peter and his brother Andrew with James and John. So Simon has a house here in Capernaum. Jesus has already, if you remember from last week our gospel lesson, 
He's already cast out a demon in the synagogue of Capernaum, so it's already been a pretty exciting day of ministry. <laughs> Maybe he just wants to go home and have a lunch or whatever and relax a little bit, but when he gets home, there's somebody else there in need, in need of his touch, in need of his healing. It's Peter's mother-in-law. Peter was married. Peter was married. Um, Simon Peter's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Now, of course, in our day, when we get a fever, we know there's an infection, so we get antibiotics, and God willing, the antibiotics take care of the problem. Sometimes it's a little scary. Sometimes it's a little touch and go. Um, but oftentimes, when we have a fever, we know if we get the antibiotic, we're going to be okay. Again, God willing. God uses medicine to heal us. So ultimately, the praise and glory goes to God when we recover. And Bob Braille is here today. He's gone through something similar to that, or just like that, last week, where he was in the hospital with an infection, fever, got the antibiotic, but also through the prayers of the people, God ministered to him and brought him to wholeness. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank God he's here with us. But so this is going on in Peter's, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. She's sick with a fever. She's laid down, and there's no antibiotic. So this could go bad really quickly. This could drag her into the grave, and everybody knows it. And so Jesus comes, and this has a real personal feel to it, a, a, a feel of a personal testimony, because Peter is behind Mark's account of the gospel. That's what tradition tells us, is that Peter is the source for Mark's gospel. And so there's some detail here that maybe you wouldn't get in other stories. He doesn't just say, my mother-in-law was healed. He gives us a little detail, this personal touch. Um, he came, you can just hear maybe Peter saying this to Mark. He came and he took her by the hand. And he lifted her up, and the fever left her. He came, took her by the hand, lifted her out of bed, Mark, and the fever left her, and she was well, and she got up and she served. So, much of us have, so many of us have experienced something like that in our life, that we were laid down with sickness, not just physical, but spiritual sickness. And the Lord came out of his grace and mercy, reached down, touched us, picked us up, and set us to service for him. It's a picture, it's an image of the Lord's work in, in all of our lives. But this shows us that Jesus has power over sickness, suffering, and death. And then later on, he confronts the great physical enemy with the whole town coming to him. The whole town is um, bringing it out their sick. Look at that, verse 33. Um, well, 32, we'll back up. That evening at sundown, okay, this is the Sabbath, so sundown means the Sabbath is over. They get up and move around. And they know where Jesus is. They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So again, imagine just this picture in your mind's eye of the whole town of Capernaum flocking to Jesus. Hundreds of people, bandaged, bruised, broken, blind, deaf, dumb, making signs to one another as they travel to the place where Jesus is because they know that he has power to heal and to set people free. It's an amazing scene, and he is able to heal many people. You have the personal, individual touch, and then you have this more general healing that takes place, or this broader work of healing. What's the point of it all? Well, as N.T. Wright says in one of his books, N.T. Wright, a great Anglican New Testament scholar, bishop, he says Jesus didn't see his healings as just uh, like he was a walking hospital. 
a pre-modern hospital. That's part of it. Like he actually was healing individuals because of their sickness and their need, and he had compassion on them. He wanted to make them better. But it was also integral to his entire message. He paired the healings with the preaching, and the preaching was the kingdom of God has come. And this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is God in power. This is God recreating a broken, hurting world. And it's coming through me. And it's a sign, once again, of what's ultimately to come at the end of time. So whenever we see Jesus doing these things in the scriptures, and whenever we've experienced healing, or we know somebody who's experienced healing, we need to understand that, that this is a sign of God's ultimate healing that will come. He who has the power to raise people from the dead, or from the bed of sickness, has the power to raise people from the dead. And that's our promise, that's our hope as we, as we face illness and suffering and even death. We can go through it with confidence because of Jesus Christ and his power to heal. We've seen it in scripture. Some of us have experienced it in our life. And so we have a hope that the world doesn't have when we face those sorts of things. You all have heard about maybe uh, John Smith, Josie's student, who uh, several weeks ago fell through ice in Lake St. Louis. I know some of you had, we've talked about it. It's been on the local news. It's now, I think, made the national news. Here was a young boy who fell through the ice on Martin Luther King Day, went out with some friends, and sunk to the bottom of this little lake. It wasn't Lake St. Louis. It was a smaller lake, Lake St. Louis. And he fell, and, and he was under the water for 15 minutes. The rescue uh, workers came and drug him out of the bottom. It was miraculous that the very first man who was there with his pole was able to get him on the very first attempt. And they brought him to the hospital and he hadn't had a pulse for 45 minutes. And they brought his mother in to say goodbye because the doctor said, I've never seen anyone survive after 25 minutes of not having a pulse. 25 minutes is the limit that I've seen. He, he's been gone for 45 minutes without a pulse. This is all reported in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, February 5th front page. And instead of the mother coming in and saying goodbye, she came in to pray. And she prayed that God would revive her son. And miraculously, his pulse started up seconds later. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus still is touching, Jesus is still healing people, Jesus still is reviving people. And she said in that article, I think this is a message of God's love for people today. That his recovery, my son's recovery, is a message that God is still at work in this world. It's true. Beyond the explanation of science and the doctors, they said this is a miracle. So Jesus is still doing that in people's life, healing, restoring. Of course, there's a mystery to it. Not everybody that gets prayed for receives that kind of healing. But once again, when we see that happening, friends, and we see it in the gospel, it gives us great confidence. When we're sick, when we're facing death, that this Lord, this Messiah, the King of kings, he has power over suffering, sickness, and even death. And so I can face these things with the hope and a confidence of better things to come because of Jesus. Well, then we see him defeating demonic powers. We see him defeating this great enemy of evil, the evil one, and the demonic powers. 
It says that he cast out many demons in verse 34, and he would not permit the demons to speak. This is a theme in Mark. Because they knew him. You see, he, he's, he, he's going to be the one to reveal who he is, not the demons. He's running the show. God's in charge, not these spiritually dark forces. So people misunderstand who the Messiah is, and he knows that. And so in his own time, in his own way, he's going to reveal fully who he is. But he's not going to let the spiritual forces of evil take charge here. He does not permit them to speak, but he casts them out of people. Now, the thing that I think we need to realize here is we can get hung up on this uh, topic of demonic possession. People can become obsessed with this idea, and there's all sorts of movies from coming out of Hollywood to promote this obsession. It's really, I think, a distraction, because the main way that, that the evil one works is not through taking over somebody's personality, like in the case of demonic possession. I think that happens, but I think it's rather rare. I'm not an expert in it. Don't want to be an expert in it. <laughs> Let somebody else do that. But I think the main way that the evil one attacks us is very subtly through lies that he plants. Uh, for example, for somebody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, through distractions the enemy will come. Somebody who doesn't know uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the enemy will say, you know what, put that off. He'll, he'll say, don't be concerned about spiritual things, sin, death, judgment before a holy God. Be, you, know, you can be interested in anything else. Football, baseball, celebrities, Facebook, Instagram. That's all okay. That's okay. But the enemy of your soul, if you're not a believer, he does not want you to believe in Jesus Christ or wrestle with the truth of Jesus. So that's more like how the enemy oftentimes operates, through distraction. And in our own life as Christians, those of us who've come to Jesus Christ, the enemy works very subtly through lies that he whispers to us. If you're going through suffering, the whisper, the lie will be, God is not good. How could God be good? How could God love you and let you go through these things? Rather than you looking to Jesus Christ and saying, you know what, I'm going through some difficult things, but I see in Jesus, and I know Jesus, and I know God's love there. So the enemy has all these subtle lies to, to get us to not believe the truth of God's word or to say to us, you know what, this, all of this is not totally true. You can take it or leave it. You can pick and choose. And that's a lie. Or the enemy will say, why don't you just engage in some illicit pleasure? Have some fun. Let loose once in a while. Everybody does it. Nobody needs to know what stays in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's a lie. It's destructive. Destroys people's lives and families and spiritually separates us from God. And that's the whole point is that the enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy people's lives and wants to separate people from God. And Jesus, as I said last week, his whole mission is to reconcile people to God. The source of all goodness and life and love. And so that's what we have here. But we see Jesus is greater than this enemy. Jesus defeats the enemy the evil one, Satan, and these spiritual forces. And so as we face these things, we can know that we have an enemy. He's mighty, he's vicious, he's powerful, but our God is greater. Greater is he who's in me. Greater is he who's in me if I'm a Christian than he who's in the world. And so I don't have to cow. I don't have to bow. I don't have to feel defeated in my life because Jesus gives us the victory. 
And, and ironically, the place of victory is the cross. That place of weakness and shame is where Jesus defeats Satan. Because Satan's plan is to hold us in guilt and condemnation and bondage to that. And on the cross, Jesus takes the guilt and condemnation that we deserve, pays for our sin, so we can stand in the presence of a holy God. It's very good news. It is a matter of, of great confidence for us that we can know as we look to Jesus Christ that our spiritual enemy has been defeated. And one day, he'll be cast into outer darkness once and for all. One day, Revelation 22 has this image of there will be no more tears, there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more sickness. And the Satan and the evil ones will be completely wiped away when God restores his creation. That's what we have to look forward to. No more ISIS. No more groups like ISIS. No more genocide. No more sex slavery. No more racism. No more injustice. No more battling ourselves with the world, the flesh, and the devil. One day he's going to come again, and he's going to recreate this world that he loves, that he made. And in the meantime, we are called to be a sign of hope. We are called to be the people who are bearers of that kind of hope. And, and, and that gets us to the last point I want to make before we close here. How do we live with that kind of confidence? with trust and faith in the kingdom of God. Look at what Jesus does after this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. You see what, Je what gave Jesus the power and the perspective and the spiritual resources to do what he did was prayer. Maintaining a constant connection to God. And God is calling all of us, the Church of the Resurrection, to become people of prayer so that he will fill our lives with this confident hope and meaning and we can tell our friends and our neighbors, you know what, I know the enemies you're battling. Maybe not the specifics, but we all face suffering. We all face the threat of death. We all face forces at work in our life, addictions and other things, depression. We've all felt in chains at one time or another. We know what that's like. But we also know the victor. We know the Savior. We know the deliverer, Jesus Christ. If we pray and stay connected to him with our life and with our lips, we can be a testimony of this hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great power that we see at work in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we pray that we would live with confident hope and what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Um, we pray, God, that we would, our life would speak of, of hope to a hopeless world. And uh, we, we pray that as we face these enemies, that we would look to Jesus, the great victor. Um, we thank you, God, for his victory, and that we have a share in it. Thank you for your mercy and grace in reaching out to us and touching us and lifting us up and setting us to service for your great name. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.